Brothers and sisters, we get to rejoice in the Word of God this morning. We're going to look at Psalm 27, verses 4 through 8. It's in your bulletin, page 22, I believe. Psalm 27, verses 4 through 8. This is the almighty Word of God. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Yes, I will, I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Father in heaven, we come now to hear your living word. And we would pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that would long to obey you, that we'd love you and love your word this morning, that you'd open our hearts to understand it. Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. And we do praise you that we can come to hear your word and be guided by your precious spirit. And so we submit to you this morning. We bow before you and ask these things because of Jesus Christ and in his name, amen. Please be seated. Well, my sons are really happy this morning because for months they've been asking Sherry and I, please sit in another aisle, please sit somewhere else. And uh, now we are, and so they're happy. And, you know, they're forced to it. I, we were forced to it. Sherry and I, I guess, were forced to it. But it reminded me that uh, Sherry and I, I, I think many of us, we all had our, our pew, in a sense. Uh, it was kind of like, you know, we're creatures of habit. We tend to sit in the same place. And it got me to thinking that um, today I would like to encourage you to develop a habit or to start a habit uh, that is really vital for any Christian. Several weeks ago during uh, his communion meditation, Rodney was sharing from Colossians chapter 4, and he said at that time that I was going to speak about uh, planning, about uh, preparing ourselves to, as we come to the new year, to be good stewards of the time that God gives us, of, of all that God gives us, but of, of our time specifically. And uh, Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. And he spent some time thinking, uh, helping us to understand, what does that mean, to redeem the time? And uh, I, I have spoken about, in a sense, redeeming the time, and giving you, giving you the questions that are on the back of, this, uh, on, on the back of your notes I believe this is the seventh year I have done that. And uh, usually it was on the first Sunday or around the beginning of the new year that we, we handed out these questions to you. And Phil and Rodney and I believe those questions are important 
Uh, and they're a great blessing to ask some of those, and, and I would urge you to do that in your family meetings. It's a great blessing. I know many of you do this every year, uh, but it's meant to encourage you and to help you and to help you to redeem uh, the time that, uh, that the Lord, it's His time, actually, really. The session uh, has been meeting, uh, as we always do, at least once a month, and we've met several times now. We've already discussed the, the uh, goals for 2017. We've finished those. And as we have done for a number of years, we'd like to emphasize, uh, we usually choose a, a focus, I guess you'd call it, or a theme, uh, something that we can uh, discipline ourselves toward and highlight in our teaching and also highlight in our shepherding meetings. And uh, this year, we are going to focus on devotions. Uh, today, I will be spe specifically focusing on personal devotions, but also we will be speaking uh, in a variety of ways about our uh, family devotions. And so uh, through this text today, I'd like to share about, encourage you in your personal devotions. And uh, this is what your elders strongly feel, are convinced that it is a prime discipline. It is a need in all of us, uh, and we need to be encouraged in this. We need to encourage each other in this. Now, when you think of discipline, you know, I was going to say Happy New Year this year. I didn't say that. But uh, when I thought of saying it, I thought, Happy New Year. Uh, usually, you don't think about disciplining yourself when you think of happy. Happy discipline, usually, we don't think those go together. Uh, but when you think about it, when you discipline yourself to save, for example, save money, uh, not so many things. You know, Sherry and I save a lot of things, and our house is full. But uh, you know, when you save money, for example, you have likely, possibly, much less stress uh, in your future. Some happiness there, not just because you have a pile of money, but uh, you know you can use that to the glory of God. And Trevor is going to have a class soon. I, I believe that probably he will uh, start out encouraging the the people in that class that uh, if you have financial discipline, your later years should be blessed by that discipline. Discipline is a blessing, and if you discipline yourself, for example, to exercise uh, your body, generally your health will be better. You'll be stronger. And, uh, you know, spiritual exercise is, is good. And First uh, Timothy says to ex uh, exercise your body is a good thing. Spiritual exercise is even better because there's a promise in it. There's a promise for the life now and promise for the life to come. For, there are eternal blessings in that kind of uh, discipline. So training in godliness requires discipline. It just does. And even building relationships, really, requires some planning and some discipline. And as you make your plans for 2017, you make your goals, as you think about those uh, in the next coming days, maybe you've already done that. Our family usually does that on the, uh, around this time, on the 1st. We'll be doing it tomorrow. I'd like to ask, what might your highest priority in growing in, in discipline in your walk with the Lord, what might that be, do you think, at this point? Well, no matter what it is, if you don't plan to keep that and discipline yourself to keep it, you will always be struggling to orient your day or your month or your week uh, toward that priority. Unless you plan, unless you take a step of action, uh, that will be difficult to succeed. In Psalm 90, Moses prayed that the Lord would uh, teach his people, uh, the people of God, to number their days. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So he prayed, Teach us, Lord, to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And we pray for that, for all of us here. 
Bill and Rodney and I, that we would grow in wisdom and uh, plan our days. And since we are stewards of the living God, we are servants of the King, our time really is not our own. We are servants. Our use of time must be planned to please our King, to please our Master. And each household now, I believe, has received, or if you haven't, you maybe will today, the book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. I believe you hopefully all have those. Anybody finished it yet? No, okay, I won't ask that. But we thought that this would be uh, an excellent book to uh, refer to throughout the, the, the year. And I'm going to be referring to one chapter in particular that has to do with silence and with solitude, with something we don't think a lot about. And so as you, uh, as you go through that book, pray that the Lord would bless you in it and that it would help you in your disciplines. Last week in the sermon that Phil gave, he talked about the five gifts of the uh, wise men. And at the end of that, I don't know if you remember that, but Phil asked some, a few questions. Or may, I, I'm sorry, it was probably more in the beginning, but he asked some questions that I think would be good for us to find an answer for, to seek an answer uh, for. First of all, as we think of the gift or the offering of our presence with the Lord, remember the Magi, the first gift was they came. They, they, they offered themselves, in a sense, physically, personally, before the Lord. And Phil uh, asked the question, what, what kind of effort do we spend or do you spend to be with the Lord? That was his first question. What kind of effort do you spend? The Magi spent a lot time and money. Now, in the first person, you could ask, what commitment do I make to be with the Lord on a consistent basis? And he referred also to Mary and Martha in that sermon. Jesus commended Mary, of course, you know that. Jesus commended Mary for choosing the one needful thing at that time. You know, Martha was also focused, I believe, on one thing. You know, she was focused also. But the priority of that time was that Jesus was there, and Mary chose to be near him. She chose what was commended by the Lord. It was a priority. In Luke 10, it says, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And all of us are commanded in Psalm 105, verses 3 and 4, let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. We are commanded. We're to seek his face. And that expression basically means to seek his presence continually, to seek his favor. David had a heart like this. And so his priority, his joyful discipline, I would say, his desire was to seek the Lord. And in verse 4 of our text, Psalm 27, verse 4 says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So what was the one thing David desired here? That he was seeking by being in the temple, in the house of the Lord. It wasn't primarily to be in a nice building. It was probably one of the most beautiful buildings in the, in the whole area. It wasn't just to be near other people, although I believe he longed for that too. He delighted in the fellowship. Uh, that he had there. It wasn't just to hear beautiful music, and they made beautiful music there. It wasn't just to be involved in feasts. But he said it was uh, all the days of his life, he said, it was to behold the beauty of the Lord. That was his strongest desire. He wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord. David wanted to be where God 
was. He wanted to be with God and to worship him at the temple, like the sons of Korah in Psalm 42. And uh, Gilbert referred to this, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Essentially, that question is, I just want to go back. When can I go back and be with the Lord? I want to be with the Lord with, with my whole heart. And we see in verse 4 of Psalm 42, the psalmist said, I used to go with the multitude, many people. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. He went with many others who were focused on seeking the Lord. The psalmist had a strong desire and a thirst for God, so he sought the Lord. He made efforts to, to seek him more. And he was not content with just knowing about God. He wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord like David did. And it would seem that uh, that is maybe just a matter of the heart or, or the, it's just something involving your emotions. But it also requires us to plan to do that and expend effort in the seeking of the Lord's beauty in order to behold the beauty of the Lord, the beauty of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now the Magi expended great effort to come before the King of Kings. And thirst for God is another way, just another way of saying desire for God. It's a synonym really for a strong desire to know the living God. And more than just strong, really, it's, it's passionate. Or you could, you could even call it life-preserving. I mean, they were panting. The picture was panting after the Lord in such a way that if you don't get water, you're not going to survive. That kind of thirst. And as a young believer at the University of Nebraska, I remember praying that uh, the Lord would uh, make me thirsty for him, that there would never be a time in my life that I wouldn't long for him more. And I never want a time there to be a time in my life that I'm not thirsting more for him, where I'm not seeking to know him more and enjoy his presence more. I don't want a mediocre walk with the Lord. I don't want a distant walk from him or a lax desire for him. And nor should anyone redeemed by the Lord be content in that situation. We are to encourage each other in seeking the Lord with our whole heart. And our commitment to a time of devotion with the Lord helps us, I believe, to be thirstier for him and to receive the living water that we need because we live in a dry and thirsty land. Whether you recognize it or not, you live in a dry and thirsty land. You need living water. God made us to be thirsty physically, of course, because we need water to live. We're mostly water, and we need fluids to be healthy. But as Christians, our spiritual thirst is different. There should never be a time when we are not thirsty, in a sense, when we are not hungering and thirsting more to be near to the Lord. As we see his beauty, I believe, we want to see his beauty more. And this is because as we become thirsty for a closer walk with the Lord, for a closer relationship with him, he has said that he can fulfill that kind of thirst. The other thirsts we have, we shouldn't even want, but he said he can fulfill that thirst and even enlarge our capacity to take in more of the living water. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, it says, for they shall be filled, or they shall be satisfied. And Phil read uh, the verse uh, in Psalm 62, I believe it was, uh, 22. The poor, uh, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will, be, will praise the Lord. So that you can be satisfied as you seek the face of the Lord. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, uh, commenting on Psalm 42, said, The next best thing to living in the light of the Lord's love, the next best thing to living in the light of the Lord's love is to be unhappy until we have it. 
and to pant hourly after it. In other words, he's saying the next best thing to living in the light of the Lord is to hunger and thirst for more of that. To be thirsty for God, to have a longing to be with him is good for us. It drives us to him. And Jonathan Edwards said basically the same thing this way. Spiritual good is of a satisfying nature. And for that very reason, the soul that tastes and knows its nature will thirst after it and a fullness of it that it may be satisfied. And the more he experiences and the more he knows this excellent, unparalleled, exquisite, and satisfying sweetness, the more earnestly he will hunger and thirst for more. May that be so in our lives here. May that be so in your children's lives. David made it a practice to commune with the Lord, and he was like a person who knows the habit or the discipline of drinking a lot of water. Sherry's always encouraged me to drink more water during the daytime. I still haven't really done that very well. I haven't gotten that habit down. And people who drink more of the Lord still desire more. It's not like they are totally filled up. They don't want more because God is increasing their capacity to take in more of him and more of the living water by his spirit. And really, for anyone, of course, it is God who initiates spiritual thirst. He initiated it. He called you. He regenerated you. He, put his spirit, he poured out his spirit into your hearts. He instituted that and through his spirit. And then through the spirit and through his precious word, he gives us the means to satisfy it. Psalm 107 says, he satisfies the longing soul. Are you longing for him? Do you have a longing soul for the living God? Now the psalmist in Psalm 42 uh, remembered how joyful it was for him to go with all these other people to the temple to meet with God and to worship the living God. He remembers having a dry soul watered as he sought the Lord and as he worshiped him. So brothers and sisters, if we can discipline ourselves to satisfy our physical desires and our needs, and they're legitimate, certainly by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can discipline ourselves to seek the Lord. That is what I'm urging you to do this first day of this year. If David could have, I believe he would have lived in the temple, just stayed there, offering sacrifices of joy all the time, sacrifices of praise. In fact, it says he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And when David became aware that uh, God was drawing him near and, in fact, invited him, David was invited, we are invited, and commanded to seek my face. That's what God said to David. Seek my face. David's heart cried out, your face, Lord, I will seek. And I believe God, through his spirit, works in our hearts and he commands us also here and invites us because he is loving and gracious. He is a merciful God. He invites us to seek him. And so may we respond like David, I'll do that, Lord. I will do that by your grace. I'll, I'll do all that I can to seek you. I'll discipline myself to meet with you, to be alone with you, and to seek your face. In verse 5 in our text, it says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. So David is, is seeking to be hidden in a sense. He wanted to be alone with God. He wanted to be hidden with God to be with him in the secret place, which is a safe place where no one can interfere with his communion with the Lord. No one can harm him. No one can distract him. In Psalm 84, 
He said, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And then in Psalm 63, the first few verses, O God, you are my God, he cried out. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. And it reminded me of of Moses saying the same thing. Lord, show me your glory. David is saying, I want to see your power and your glory. I looked for you in the sanctuary. And he goes on in Psalm 63, my soul shall be satisfied again. He's talking about his soul being satisfied, even though he has this great longing. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Now that means that kind of food was very satisfying. If you ate marrow and fatness, you weren't hungry for some time after that. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. And that's an interesting picture. Think of that. In the shadow of your wings. So he's picturing himself here. It's kind of like he is the chick under his mother's wing. In the shadow of her wings. And that was a place of refuge. That was a place of comfort. And the picture here is, uh, that was a picture of nearness that David longed for to be with the Lord. To be hidden with God, in a sense, under those wings. And if he was in the temple or if he was meditating on his bed at night, as he said, he was coming before the Lord himself, communing with his heart with the living God. And in Matthew 6, our Lord said, when you pray, when you do this, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What greater reward to rejoice in the presence of the King? What a reward. Psalm 62, verse 1 says, Truly, my soul waits silently for God. And then in verse 5, it says, my soul wait. In this case, David was, in a sense, speaking to his, himself, to his heart, to his soul. And he said, my soul wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. And Psalm 46 begins this way. God is our refuge and strength. He is our refuge. And then in verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. How often are we still? Be still and know that I am God. He is our refuge. refuge. He is our hiding place. And he is the only place, brothers and sisters, uh, of true quiet and rest for your souls. It's in him. It's not, not in a place. Jesus could calm the waves, of course, and he can calm your soul to meet with him. He said, peace be still, in Mark chapter 4. And so when he did, the wind ceased, and it says there was a great calm. How many of you are experiencing a great calm? How many of you long for that? And as we seek him in quiet and in silence and in solitude, he does calm our soul. In Mark 1, it said of the Lord, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And it was hard for him to find that. And it goes on, And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They were looking all over for him. 
And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Well, certainly everyone is looking for him. He'd healed most of the night. He was healing people. And there were likely many more who needed to be healed, wanted to be healed. Yet the Lord needed to be alone and quiet with his father. And I believe many Americans, many Christians, have really a hard time being silent for very long. It's just hard. Or being alone and silent is probably even harder. I reviewed for this a little booklet that I received as a young Christian. Uh, it was called The Tyranny of the Urgent. It was put out by University Press in the late 60s. This is from that, The Tyranny of the Urgent. It said, prayerful waiting on God or devotions is indispensable to effective service. We cannot be effective without prayerful waiting on God. And it goes on. Like the timeout in a football game, it enables us to catch our breath and fix new strategy. As we wait for directions, the Lord frees us from the tyranny of the urgent. He shows us the truth about himself, about ourselves, and about our tasks. He impresses on our minds the assignments he wants us to undertake. And it ends this little section. It is not God who loads us until we bend or crack with an ulcer or have a nervous breakdown, a heart attack, or a stroke. The Lord knows our frame. He knows, he remembers that we are but dust. And he calls us in love because he loves us with an everlasting love to be alone with him. Prayerful waiting on God is indispensable for effective service. Now, in this Spiritual Disciplines book, in uh, chapter 9, I believe, it's called uh, Silence and Solitude. It was a great blessing for me to read that. And it starts off talking about uh, Moses in the Old Covenant, Paul in the New Covenant. Two men who were transformed by isolation. In the beginning, long isolation uh, in a remote place, in a remote wilderness. And they continued practicing time alone with the Lord. Don Whitney in this book says, we have become a people with an aversion to quiet and an uneasiness with being alone. And I believe we are conditioned, even if we're not aware of it, we're conditioned to be comfortable uh, with crowds and with noise, not so much with silence and with solitude. That discipline seems to be kind of rare, I think. How many minutes a day do you think? You just sit quietly, alone, and not feel that you have to do something. You have to listen to something. You have to watch something. You have to play something. You have to read something, whatever it is. Now, when we worship the Lord together, as we are blessed to do, when we worship the Lord together, we should be active, of course, in singing and speaking the scriptures together, in listening, uh, and in the table of the Lord. And yet, we also, not sure if you're aware of this, but we also have dedicated times of quiet, even during a public and a corporate worship. First of all, uh, after the bell rings, it calls us to be seated, and then we have a few announcements. But then there's a brief time to be silent. There's a brief time. It's brief, but I believe it's important. It's one of the three times that we do that. They're kind of brief. I, personally, I wouldn't mind if that was extended a bit. And there are some here, and we have talked about that. But so that's, that's kind of the first one. In fact, I even thought, 
as I was working on this sermon, maybe I should just start and say, okay, first five minutes, bow your heads. That's it. I wonder how that would have gone. I don't know. I didn't, didn't do it, obviously. Now, the second time of silence is as we bow on our knees before our king to silently and individually confess our sins. There is a, a brief time of silence there. And then the third time of brief silence is as we wait for the elements uh, of the Lord's table to be distributed. And then after we have partaken of those, uh, there's a brief time uh, to praise the Lord, to pour out your heart to him. Again, it's brief, but I believe it's important. Jonathan Edwards said, some are greatly affected, that means they're really moved, when in company, that means with a bunch of people. Some are greatly affected when in company, but have nothing that bears any manner of proportion to it in secret. In other words, there's a big difference. People are, it's easy to get a, do things in a large group. A little harder, even at this time when he wrote that. They have nothing that, nothing that bears any manner of proportion to it, that is gathering with a crowd, in secret, in close meditation, prayer, and conversing with God when alone and separated from the world. A true Christian doubtless delights in religious fellowship and Christian conversation. I know we do here. It's great. It's joyful. And finds much to affect his heart in it. But he also delights at times to retire from all mankind to converse with God in solitude. And this, is also, this also has peculiar advantages for fixing his heart and engaging his affections. True religion disposes persons to be much alone in solitary places for holy meditation and prayer. And he ends, he said, it is the nature of true grace, however it loves Christian society in its place, in a peculiar manner to delight in retirement and secret converse with God. But during the week, I know we all don't have a regular liturgy as we have here where we have three brief times of silence. And so we need to plan a little ourselves. And in our daily time, it's almost like I think, okay, this is me, you know. I'm not going to say all of you feel the same way, but in our daily time, it's almost like, uh, and we might not articulate this, but we might feel guilty for taking some time of silence and solitude. Or maybe we're just uneasy with it. Or bored, possibly, but Maybe we're just conditioned to have, have to be active. We have to do something. We have to say something. Or we're pressured by what we feel must be done. And a lot of things that need to be done. Martha knew that. Mary knew that. She chose the good portion. Or possibly we're just fearful of being alone. I believe we become better, become better listeners to others as we learn to listen and not feel compelled to speak so much during at least part of our time, uh, our devotional time with the Lord. Silence and solitude are disciplines that we must seek to develop, especially as we are meeting with the Lord. Alistair Begg, uh, I've been talking a lot about disciplines, and so I wanted to say this. Alistair Begg said, the establishment of holy habits is not legalism. It is imperative to spiritual wholeness. I just made that point a few minutes ago. Silence and solitude are good habits to develop. We need to develop the ability to, to be silent. 
Now, David Mathis, he's the executive director of Desiring God. He had an article recently. It's called Take a Break from the Chaos. Caught my eye because I was looking at this. And he said in there, it's surprising how loud silence can be. <laughs> and that's true. You know, if you're not used to it. The point of practicing silence as a spiritual discipline is not so we can hear God's audible voice, but so we can be less distracted and better hear him speak and even greater clear, with even greater clarity in his word. So it trains us to listen to the voice of God. And many of you know, uh, for years, I was working at the University of Nebraska in international programs, and through those years, we had many, many uh, students, especially Asian students, who visited our house and who lived with us for some time. And so they would come up to our acreage, and you all, most of you have seen our, our, well, our former acreage. Uh, there's nothing around there but cornfields, you know, and our house was there. And so they'd come out, and they'd, they'd be... Uh, kind of enjoying it, and yet there's a number of people who said this. That's why it came to my mind. Uh, they were unnerved by the silence of our... And now, okay, my kids weren't always silent, but the location was silent, and it unnerved them. It freaked them out. They just didn't know what to do with it because most of the Asian students came from you know, Seoul or Beijing or Tokyo, and they had 20 million people there. It never is quiet there. Even all night, it's never quiet. There's a hum and so, you know, that was their culture. That was their lifestyle. And they, they came to enjoy it, though. I'll have to say, they really came to enjoy it. And, you know, so there are no people around us, really, just cows, cows in the field. But um, it was interesting. You know, they were acculturated to that. They knew nothing but noise, in a sense. And it, it unnerved them to not be around a whole bunch of people. And I don't know if Sherry and I ever got used to all that. That was, that was a little hard for us. Don Whitney wrote, many of us need to realize the addiction we have to noise. I wouldn't say that the Japanese, for example, were addicted to noise. It's just all they, they knew. They didn't know what to do without it. But Don Whitney wrote, this is a strong statement. Many of us need to realize the addiction we have to noise. I believe the convenience of sound has contributed to the spiritual shallowness of contemporary Western Christianity. Wow, very strong statement. I think it does, it can con contribute to shallowness, even our own personal shallowness. And he went on, one of the costs of technological advancement is a greater temptation to avoid quietness. We can do it. It's easy to avoid. While we have broadened our intake of news and information of all kinds, these advantages may come at the expense of our spiritual depth if we do not practice silence and solitude. The worship of God does not always require words, sounds, or actions. Sometimes worship or devotions consists of God-focused stillness and hush. So brothers and sisters, God knows our heart. He knows what we say before we say it. We can sit quietly much longer, I believe, than we do. Jim Elliott said it this way, the martyr in Ecuador. He said, I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements— Noise, hurry, and crowds. And he said, Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. And our enemy does not, of course, want us to discipline our lives and our daily quiet times with the Lord. He doesn't want those to be developed. And our own flesh avoids it, too, as it does other disciplines which lead to godliness. And in the, in the uh, Biblical Blueprints booklet, 
Uh, it's called an hour of prayer. Uh, I think it's back in that there. Uh, Phil has one of the, it, well, I like the old uh, cover better. But anyway, it, it has a circle and it's in five, uh, there's 60 minutes divided in five-minute chunks. One of those five-minute chunks, and that's why I was thinking of just saying, okay, everybody, we're going to pray for five minutes, is um, a time to, uh, it's called wait upon the Lord. That's what it's called. And it, if you haven't done this, it's a great blessing. And at first, five minutes seems like a long time. Uh, but he said in there, it's a time to wait for God to manifest his personal presence in any way that he chooses. Psalm 37 is the reference he gives. Pray, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait quietly. Without feeling, you need to do something or be active. Now, that's kind of hard. So just a couple of ideas. Make this regular. I mean, not only devotions, but I mean devotions with silence. Make it regular. Figure out a way to do that periodically. Um, have a piece of paper next to you. At least I do this because things come into my mind. I don't want them to bother me. I'll scribble it over there, and then I'll go on. I almost have to do that. And then plan for some extended times. When I was a young believer, I did this more, uh, but I would take half a day alone or an hour alone or two hours alone, and I don't do it as much now. Uh, I, I long to do that. I should do that. Now, on the back, I mentioned some questions. If you want to look at those very briefly, um, there's some questions on the back I think that are helpful. And the ones that kind of relate to, what, to the main point of this sermon, first question is, what's one thing you could do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? What's one thing you could do? I would suggest try this time of silence, being alone with the Lord. Another one is uh, number four. In which spiritual discipline do you most want to make progress this year? And what will you do about it? I mean, David took action. He was a man of action. What will you do about it? Uh, verse five talks about being a time waster. Uh, verse 10, or, I'm sorry, uh, question 10. What single thing that you plan to do this year will matter most in 10 years, in eternity? What will you do that will make a huge difference in your life? I would suggest if your time of devotions are skimpy or non-existent especially, or your times of silence are, if you want to see a change in 10 years, ask the Lord to give you a heart like David, that you would seek him with your whole heart. And then 14 was, uh, talks about the habit. What habit would you most like to establish? So in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, Verse 11, it says uh, that this is about Elijah. Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord is not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And then the Lord spoke. The Lord is mighty, and he's powerful, and he's awesome. He's to be feared. He can send a wind that's so strong it breaks rocks off of a mountain. Or he can cause violent earthquakes, raging fires. Yet, I believe, he usually communes with us with a still voice and a small voice, not loud, which we hear as we wait 
upon him quietly. His spirit will speak through his word to us. Habakkuk 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before him. Zephaniah 1, 7. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 2. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So I encourage you all to plan and discipline yourselves to seek the Lord in silence and in solitude more often. Rejoice in that. Well, that was the major part of what I wanted to convey today, a major point. But I'd like to conclude with just a few thoughts from verses 6 through 8 of Psalm 27. Again, regarding our personal devotions. Verse 6 says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So we have victory, brothers and sisters, in Christ. We have victory over our enemy because we are hidden with the Lord. And he lifts us up in victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So now in our devotions, along with silence, we can offer up sacrifices of joy. We have great reason for joy because we have been redeemed to do so. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb through his sacrifice for us. Matthew Henry said, The safety of believers, and this, this idea of being hidden, the safety of believers is not in the walls of the temple, but in the God of the temple and in our comfort in communion with him. He is our place of hiding again. And of course, we can sing. I will sing, David said. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. We do that joyfully here in the congregation. And I couldn't even sing during a couple of those songs today. It was just, I was moved by the joy of singing with everyone here. Uh, but we can also sing, I believe, uh, individually in our quiet times with the Lord. We can sing in praise to our King. Now, that might be hard to do without disturbing others. Not so much maybe because you're, you don't sound very good, but because, you know, there's other people listening to you possibly. Maybe it's uncomfortable for you. So uh, what I do in my devotions is I try to pick a hymn or a song, uh, you know, something from the Psalter or something. And usually the first thing I sing in the morning, I always sing it most of the day. I just sing it all the time, all through the day. And it's a great blessing. So maybe in your devotions you can sing silently. But I believe singing is, should be a major part it can be a major part of our personal devotions. Verse 7 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. So he cried out. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. So David here in verse 7, he cries out to the Lord to hear his voice. It's his heart's cry. And he cried out that the Lord would have mercy on him and answer his plea. And in our devotions, I believe we can also and should also cry out more. With our voice, audibly, if you can do that. Our devotions should be more than our Bible reading program, by the way. Devotions are when we are devoting ourselves to the Lord God. And David heard the voice of God in verse 8. He heard the call of God. He heard the invitation of God to seek his face. It was, and it was a command. And his heart responded, and I believe he responded quickly, without delay. He said, your face, Lord, I will seek. So he took action, because he was a man of action, uh, in doing so. He committed himself to seek the Lord. 
May we all have what Charles Spurgeon referred to as a holy readiness. That's what Spurgeon called it. Be ready. To have a holy readiness to hear this call and to discipline ourselves to seek him. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me. This is, from, this is the Lord. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. That's an amazing promise. In a sense, you are also hearing this call today from several areas, number of scriptures I have shared today. You have heard it's a call for you to seek him. You don't have to doubt that that call has been made to you. And what does your heart say to the call of God to seek him, to the discipline of seeking him with your whole heart? This seeking of the Lord, that which can satisfy the longing of your soul, and only that, that thirst we have because of the Spirit dwelling in us. And that seeking is possible because the Lord died for us. And he rose in victory over sin and death. And so we can come into his presence. We can seek his face. He died so that we can do that. He has called his people to seek his face. And we can seek him. And we can discipline ourselves to do so by his grace. As we train ourselves in godliness. It's our responsibility. And we can help each other in that again. And we can learn to enjoy his presence in silence and in solitude. So brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord says to you, seek my face. May you say with your whole heart and by your actions, your face, Lord, I will seek. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that you would keep us from being people who honor you just with our lips, who have hearts far from you. We long to be thirsty for you, to enjoy your presence, to delight in your presence. Lord, keep us from formalism or dryness in these times and expand our ability to drink more of you. Fill us with your spirit so that we will pant after you and never be content with the communion that we have with you now. When you have told us to seek you, to long for you in an ever-increasing desire. We ask this because Jesus died for us and rose again and sent your Holy Spirit to make us thirsty for you. Help us, Lord, to learn to be silent and to express the joy that we have in the Lord to you and to discipline ourselves in seeking you. Lord, may our hearts cry be, your face, Lord, I will seek. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.